the, the order of things is going to be a little different this morning, and so if, uh, if you want to turn with your Bibles, turn your Bibles, we will sing um, some more songs uh, throughout the service this morning, um, but we're going to do something a little different. If you turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be continuing our, our study through the Sermon on the Mount, and we are in the part um, starting in verse, um, verse 7 where Jesus is teaching the disciples what is traditionally known as the Lord's Prayer, but is probably better, better described as the Disciples' Prayer. Um, Jesus, the, the Lord's Prayer is John 17, where Jesus prays. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and praying uh, for his disciples, praying for those who would come to faith through their ministry, which includes you and I, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, that would, that, that's a, what we... What we I think it would better describe as the Lord's Prayer. Um, but in this, in this section, he is teaching the disciples how to pray. Um, a couple of things that I want to kind of preface this and kind of front load a little bit as we talk about it. It was very common, very normal in that time for rabbis to have a kind of a form of prayer that they would teach their followers. Um, that was that was very very common um, throughout the the ancient world. Um, you'd have you'd have a rabbi. You'd have a kind of a, a gaggle of students that would follow that rabbi all the time. Everywhere he went, he would teach them as they as they would go. And one of the things that he would teach them is a way to pray. This helps us understand some of the things that Jesus was just addressing, you know, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases and, you know, think, think that the more you talk, the more God will hear you. These were, you know, some of, some of the forms of prayer that rabbis would teach for their students were, were very long and protracted and, you know, all, the, all these kinds of things. And Jesus taught this form, which is best understood as a template, not a script. Um, I don't know if you've heard that before. Um, but the Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer, is, is best understood as a template for prayer than as a script, you know, say these words. I know that, you know, traditionally a lot of people say the words, and uh, we'll go ahead and read them. Read them now, oh, starting in verse 9. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus adds a footnote where he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, some of you are wondering, well, wait a minute, what about the ending like doxology part? Why didn't he say that? Okay. Some of you in your Bibles may have a footnote at the bottom, like mine that says, some manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Um, we'll just get this out of the way now. That, that part um, is in some manuscripts, but it's not in the oldest manuscripts. And so pretty, pretty much universally, most scholars agree now that that probably was not in the original text, but was added in later. Here's why it's okay. 
I, I don't really, as, as far as the Lord's Prayer goes, first of all, it, uh, it is consistent with Scripture. And second of all, um, as a form of prayer, the church has used that doxology at the end for a very, 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 very long time. And so it's okay if we add for, thy's, for, 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 thine, for thine, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It kind of circles back to the beginning. So anyway, that all by way of introduction. So as we, as we go into the Lord's Prayer, what I would like to do is break it up into, into, into kind of three sections. I'm going to teach a little bit about what, this, what the section means. And then uh, we'll, put a, we'll put a slide up that has a kind of a, uh, some prompts, and we'll take a few minutes and, and pray. Um, kind of in, as Jesus taught us to pray, let's learn to pray the way Jesus taught, and so we'll, we'll spend a few minutes in prayer, and then we'll pray together, we'll worship through song together, and then we'll, we'll go to the next thing. So... The, the, big idea, the big idea that I would like to um, propose that the Lord's Prayer gives us is that prayer should align our hearts with God's. We often think of prayer as, as us relaying things to God. Certainly, God wants us to cast our cares on him. He wants us to um, approach him with our needs, to um, commune with him and all of that. But we often think of it as as this, um, uh, we wouldn't say it this way, but often we, we treat it like it's this one-way thing where here is my list of things, let me read them to you. you know, and we, we go, go through our list of requests and things like that. But Jesus' form of prayer that he teaches us does something to us. It focuses our hearts on the right things. And, that, and that's what prayer ought to do. Prayer should align our hearts with God's. And so this first alignment that we see in the first few um, verses of the, of the Lord's Prayer is, is toward God. It should align our hearts toward God. And so, in other words, that, that our view of God is brought into alignment with God's view of himself, with truth. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is not a word that we use much, hallowed. To be regarded as holy. And holy is a word that means set apart. It's different. Some of of you will be uh, participating in a fairly traditional Christmas dinner. Some of you will be hosting that dinner. And you will get dishes out for that dinner that are basically only used for Christmas, maybe Thanksgiving, and maybe Easter dinner. Right? Am I... I, Debbie, am I probably right on this? You got a few, some of the nicer china or whatever. You've got some of these dishes that they sit on display in a cabinet most of the time, and only for special occasions like this do they ever come out. That is something that is set apart. And that's probably one of, the, one of the best pictures that we have of something that is, it is designated for a purpose that's more important than your everyday purpose. It is set apart, and when we use it, we're real careful with it and things like that. And when we say, hallowed be your name, God is set apart and different from us. And then verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so a few observations on this as we, um, before we transition to some prayer time for it. First, God is our Father. 
He is our Father. This is God as Father is something that um, is kind of new in the New Testament. Jesus kind of brings that idea. Um, in the Old Testament, they would say Abraham is our father. We, we heard that in, the, in our, our uh, passage this morning from our, our prayer of confession that, uh, you know, that this, that where John the Baptist is talking, and they would, the Jews would refer to themselves as sons of Abraham. And, and Jesus brings this idea that no, God is your heavenly father. He is our father. He is in heaven. He is holy and deserves our worship. And his way is best. And so, so a, a few things on that. As our father, he made us. And he knows us. He protects us and provides for us. He loves us and disciplines us always for our good. These are, I don't know what kind of father you had, but I know this, now that I am one, uh, it's real hard to be a perfect one because we can't be. And kids are resilient. Man, the things that Oh, the ways we can mess up as parents and our kids actually still turn out okay is just uh, remarkable to me, and I am thankful for God's common grace in that. Um, but, but God is the perfect father. It's easy to misunderstand your kids. God doesn't misunderstand you. He knows you. He made you and he knows you. He protects you, provides for you. He loves you. And any discipline from God is only for your good. He doesn't get mad and punish you vindictively. He punished Jesus for all the sin. We, we talked about this in, uh, in our, as we closed out our small group Bible study this week. You know, that, that, um, I think it was AJ that was, that was making this, this point that, that really helps him understand that God, God doesn't punish, he disciplines. That's very poignant. Discipline is correction. Discipline is teaching. Discipline is helping us. As God in heaven, he knows and sees all, everything. He is the creator and king of the universe. A lot of the traditional Jewish prayers that would be, um, that, that would be said at different times of the day begin with, blessed are you, king of the universe. If you, if you watch that show, The Chosen, they, they, they say it like every time they wake up in the morning, you know, blessed are you, king of the universe. That's, that's actually from some old traditional Jewish prayers. Blessed are you, king of the universe. This, this reminder, even in the beginning of my prayer, of where God is and where I am. And our, our, our positions in the universe are very different. He understands our past. He knows our future. He holds it all in his, in his hand. He is our father. He is in heaven. As holy God, God is not like us. He is so perfectly good, the very mention of his name should inspire praise. Um, there's a passage in Isaiah that, where God is speaking, and he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. My thoughts my ways are, are higher than yours, and that we cannot attain them. And, and that is incredible perspective, particularly for times when we don't, 
when we don't understand what God is doing. And I say that with a chuckle because when is it that we understand what God is doing? (laughs) There are some times that we feel like it makes sense, but I can guarantee that even in those moments, we don't understand fully how God's plan is all working together for our good and for his glory. He is our father, he's in heaven, he is holy. As sovereign, as king, God's kingdom is the only place where we can all flourish perfectly. Human flourishing is a blessing from God. And and someday when God sets up his kingdom and he is ruling and reigning over all things here on earth. Certainly he is currently in control, but he is... He is, uh, he is waiting until the proper time to judge all of sin. But when, when all of that happens, and we are living in eternity with him, only then can we all perfectly flourish. And so we ought to pray for that. We ought to want God's will, God's kingdom to come. We ought to, as, as we, and this is the perfect time to be thinking about this. Uh, this, this message with the Lord's Prayer actually ties in perfectly with the Advent season because one of the things that, that Jesus teaches us is to long for the second coming, to long for God's kingdom to come. Just like all through the Old Testament there is, and through all the prophets, there is this longing for the Messiah who will come and rescue us. We ought to likewise be looking forward to and longing for God's kingdom to come. And to the extent that God's will is done here on earth as in heaven, that only aids human flourishing. Wherever God's will is done, people will flourish better. And wherever God's will is not done, uh, people will suffer. Not because God punishes them, but because it's built into creation that God's way is best. And so as, uh, as Kara comes to, to play a little bit... Um, I want us to spend a, spend a couple of minutes praying quietly to you know silently among ourselves. We can spread out if you feel like you um, your neighbor's real weird or making you uncomfortable. No, um, I want us to spend a couple of minutes in prayer, and then I'll I'll come up and pray together, and then we'll move on to the next part. But this this first part of the Lord's prayer: Thank God for adopting you into His family. Acknowledge how great God is. Respond to his awe-inspiring holiness. He's king of the universe. And confess your longing for a world free of sin and evil. A world of perfection ruled by our loving Father. This beginning to the Lord's Prayer focuses our hearts. Because we come to God, we say, Dear God, and the first things that come into our mind are usually physical needs, Loved one, we go straight to our list. And Jesus is saying, don't go straight to your list. Gain some perspective about who you're talking to first. So let's spend a couple of minutes in prayer. Heavenly Father, blessed are you, King of the universe. And yet you invite us to call you Abba, Father. to address you with tenderness. God, thank you for your great love for us. 
Thank you that you, you rule over the universe with the authority and power of a sovereign. And yet you address us with the tenderness of a father to his child. God, your love is a love we can never understand, but we can experience it, and we thank you so much for that. Thank you that you have a plan to rescue us. Thank you for Jesus. God, we look at the world around us and we long for all the problems to be fixed. May we always be reminded that only you can fix those things. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love the Christmas hymns. And my wife will say, yeah, right, you don't even let us play them until after Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, the, the song that we started with this morning, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, do you know how long the church has been singing that tune? It used to be in Latin, but because they wrote it in a monastery. Do you know how long? Over 1,200 years, Christians have been singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I, 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 sometimes you can feel like, I don't know, most of you probably don't feel this way, or you wouldn't be here. But, <laughs> you know, some people may feel like uh, some of the older hymns are, are stuffy or whatever, but I, I feel like it is just a, such a powerful connection to the historical church. I know that... Um, Debbie and Patricia, you know, when we were in Israel and being in some of these places where, like, the church went into hiding and sang and prayed, maybe in hushed tones, that was cool. It's just, it's, it's really cool to remember that there is an unbroken line of people sharing the gospel between you and me and those disciples. That's really cool. Okay, well, as we, as we look at the, um, the, the next part of of the Lord's Prayer. The, the, the second alignment is toward ourselves. And not in a self-focused sort of way, but in uh, first we align ourselves with who God is, what his position is in the universe, and then what ours is in relation to his. And so we look here, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. A couple of observations here. First, um, on the provision side, give us this day our daily bread. I can't meet any of my own needs, any of them. Again, this is one of these areas that we, we, can, <laughs> we get ourselves to think that we are supplying our own needs because we put our hand to the plow and we work. You know, we, we go to work and we work hard and we bring home a paycheck and we go and we, you know, buy food at the store and bring that home or, and, and, and that we've somehow provided for our own needs. But any of you who have ever been through an unexpected job loss or um, crippling inflation or shortages know that uh, at the end of the day, if God's hand is not in it, it will not reach your hand. I can't meet any of my own needs. 
And, and, and I love that you know, the, 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 focus, the focus from God starts with, with, with Father in heaven and then kind of works its way down to then, then his kingdom, which is like the outpouring of who he is, and then from his kingdom to our lives, your will be done even here on earth. God, his, his kingdom and reign, and then to where we are. The part that focuses on us starts really close to us with our most basic physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. We, I, I, don't, I don't know how many of you have ever lived, you know, the hand-to-mouth existence, or maybe for a season, you know, maybe when you were poor as church mice, or maybe, you know, maybe you spent, a, maybe you spent some time homeless. I have no idea, but... But any of you that have lived in a situation where every day you woke up with the question, where will my sustenance for today come from? You've lived a little closer to this. But the reality is it's all of us all the time. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a, there's a, there's a reminder in that to um, focus on only on the thing that we can can really focus on. I, I, can't, I can't do anything about tomorrow. It's not here yet. Certainly, I can make choices that make tomorrow easier or harder today. But at the end of the day, I'm not promised tomorrow, and I don't know what tomorrow holds that's outside of my choices. So there's a focus on today. There's a focus on my most basic physical needs. Even those must come from the hand of my Father. And then there's this, there's this progression outwards from our most basic needs to our most pressing spiritual needs. Forgive us our debts. It's kind of financial language, but I think we all understand. There's a song that we sing, we like to sing here a lot, that uh, we stood beneath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. That that. that that Jesus, or he, he stood, whatever, um, you know, that Jesus took on our debt that we could never pay back. And there is this, this financial language, almost transactional, in the cross. Even what Jesus said when he said, it is finished, is, is, the, is like Aramaic for, it, for paid in full. That the debt has now been fully paid. And so we said, when we say, forgive us our debts, <laughs> We're not really talking about money there. Um, we're talking about the things that are rightly held against us. The first need, I, I kind of love the way Jesus structured this because the first need that we feel every day is our basic physical needs. Those are the things we pray for. Ever since, ever since Israel, Miss Debbie's been waking up with one knee that hurts so bad she can barely walk on it. That's the first thing coming to her mind because that is the first thing. And Jesus knows that. Give us this day our daily bread. My most pressing physical needs, God, you know. You know that those are at the front of my mind. But help me to also remember that behind that is a greater need, one for forgiveness. There is a spiritual need. And, and, and beyond just the forgiveness, there is a, a need to be able to walk Worthy of this calling. Deliver us from evil. 
lead us not into temptation. Okay, I want to spend a I want to spend a minute on this. Um, we, we talked about this here. God is the source of all our provision, physical and spiritual, from the deepest to the most basic need. We, we must align our hearts to look for the hand of God in ev- for everything we need and allow our desires to be shaped by his will. Give us this day our daily bread. There, there's, sorry, I'm circling back here, but like, there's, there's something in that 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 aligns our hearts with, God, help me to be satisfied today with what you give me. Because in that is a trust that what my Father has given me is enough, even if I think maybe I should have gotten something else or something more. This, this um, lead us not into temptation is, uh, is probably one of the most... Um, I don't want to say problematic, but, but probably the phrase in the Lord's Prayer that, that people struggle with the most, lead us not into temptation. God, please don't lead me to temptation. Except that's not the right way to understand it. We want to understand this biblically because James chapter 1 tells us that, that no one is tempted of God. God does not lead you to temptation. And so why then would Jesus... Ask us, in this form of prayer that he's teaching, why would he teach us to ask God not to do something that he already doesn't do? That doesn't even make, that makes no sense. And so that must not be what it means. I, I, spent, I spent a little bit of time researching and um, most, most of the commentaries um, focus on kind of some gymnastics around how to understand that, you know, that God, it really it's more of a prayer of God, don't, don't give me more than I can handle, don't, um, but that doesn't make sense either. First Corinthians already talks about how whenever you are tempted, God has always provided you a way of escape and it will never be more than you can handle. So once again, that doesn't make any sense that, that Jesus is telling us to pray for something that God already does or that he already doesn't do. There's a better way to understand this, and, it, it, and it's a little bit lost on us because it's, it's a kind of a Hebrew cultural literary device that um, we see it in other places of Scripture, and we don't have time this morning to really dig into it in, in, in a lot of detail. But one of the, one of the things that, that the Eastern thinking would do is in describing this, we would say... Um, the thing, not the purple one, and not the pink one, and not greenery, but a white one, and it gives light to the house. Okay, I, I know this, this, this sounds weird, but, but it's kind of a dancing around it, and it's not this, it's not this, it's like this, it's this one. This, this descriptive thing that encompasses what it isn't, and what it's like, and then what it is. Western thinking does not follow. That is circular to us. Western thinking says it's a candle. It is white. It's in the middle. There's kind of this linear, linear way. Um, but, but, but in Eastern thinking, there would, there would be a little more dancing around. And, and so a better way to understand it is this. And, it's, and it goes back to a, a Hebrew thing called the, 
the Yetzer Chara, which is the, the inclination to do evil. We would call it, as Christians, the sin nature. We are all bent towards sin. And we need God to lead us away from it because that is the way we are always naturally drawn. As in everything else, the solution to our problem is not found within us, but in God. And so, to, to oversimplify it, a good way to, to read it would be, lead us away from temptation. The prayer that Jesus is teaching us is asking God to lead us. Lead us in a way that's not this way. Not because God's going to lead us that way, but because we need led in a different way than that. Lead us, not into temptation. Again, not because God's going to lead us into temptation, but because we're already going there ourselves all the time. Lead me in a way that is different than the way I lead myself. Lead us, not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. That is not within us to bring about. That must come from God. And so again, as, as Kara comes, our, um, our prayer prompts for this section is to thank God for his faithfulness in being our good shepherd. Share with God where you feel a current need for his provision. You can get the list out. It's okay. Jesus knows we come to the throne for a reason. And yes, we must acknowledge that we're standing before the throne of the king of the universe. We start there. But there's a reason we walked into the throne room. We have needs. We have needs we can't meet ourselves. We have problems we can't solve and fix ourselves. And coming to God with those things is the right thing to do. It's the right perspective. It's good for us to come and cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. So share with him where you feel a current need for his provision. Ask God for wisdom, direction, strength to resist areas of temptation. Ask him to lead you, to lead you in his way. If we're going to go a direction other than the way we are naturally bent, someone has to lead us, and that someone is the good shepherd. So let's spend a couple of minutes in prayer. Oh God, we need you. We need you in every, every moment, every hour, every, every arena of our lives. Everything from our most basic provision to the strength to represent you in this world. <clears throat> we need you. We need your strength. We need your healing. We need your guidance and your leading to understand your word and then to follow it. God, give us, give us soft hearts to be open and receptive to your will. Oh God, dispel this notion that we somehow 
are responsible to meet most of our needs and to only bother you with the stuff we really can't handle ourselves. God, you're our Father. And it has always been your way to teach us dependence on you. Thank you that we can look to you for that and that our faith in you for those things is not misplaced. But you will meet those needs and your great love for us. God, help us to trust when the answer is no that it is for our good. Help us to trust that when you when you choose not to give us the extra that we think we ought to have, when you choose not to heal, when you choose not to grant our request that you are at work, you're not ignoring us. You are at work, and your plan is bigger than us. Help us to trust you in that. God, you know how hard it is for us. We think we have it all figured out, and we think that we know what we need. But you know that we don't. We don't know. You know what we need. Help us to always be satisfied with what comes from your hand. The hand of our loving Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Such powerful perspective. I love that line. My one defense. My righteousness. He's our only defense. And anything good in us came from him. We talked about that last week. Powerful reminder. Well, as, we, as we move on to the, the, the last, the, th- the third alignment. First, you know, prayer aligns us, our hearts with God's. And so that first alignment is toward God. The second alignment is toward ourselves. God's place and our place in the universe. And the third alignment is toward others. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And skipping now to verse 14 and 15 there. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's a, um, a sobering... A sobering reminder, and there's a, there's a parable that Jesus tells about a, a servant in, uh, in Matthew 18. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Often a ruler would, often the way someone ended up a servant is because they had debts they couldn't pay, and so they went to someone wealthy, maybe the king, maybe a wealthy merchant or something, and said, hey, if you pay my debts, you know, how, how many years would I need to work for you to pay that off? And um, he wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, he, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. We don't know exactly how much that was, but suffice to say, it's more than he could have paid back in his whole lifetime or multiple lifetimes. And since he could not pay, 
His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Which is ridiculous pleading because he never could possibly have earned enough to pay it. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. We don't know exactly how much that was, but it was a very attainable amount. Let's say the difference between 20 grand and 10 and 20 bucks. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Didn't we just read that recently? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's sobering. But the lesson is this. Those of us who have truly repented, confessed our sin, and by confessed we mean agreed with God about the wickedness of our sin, not telling God about our sin. God already knows. Confessing is not us telling God what we did. Confessing is us agreeing with God about the wickedness of our sin. Those of us that have truly confessed and repented of our sin and received forgiveness, how can we withhold that forgiveness from others? How can we withhold when we have, when we have been released from a debt we could never pay back? to the king of the universe, how then do we hold the little squabbles that we have among ourselves to each other? And I, and I say that on purpose because I know that that seems to trivialize some very serious hurt that we can have with other people. And I don't mean to trivialize it. What I mean to do is bring it into perspective. Some of us have been sinned against in wicked ways by people in ways that have hurt us deeply and affected our lives forever. And I don't mean to make light of that. But what Jesus is doing is reminding us that the debt we had to the king is so much greater than any of us can have between each other. That's saying something. What that's saying is, I think it's so easy for us to not have perspective for how offended God is by our sin. God is holy and we bear his image. And 
by very virtue of the fact that we are sinners, we have sullied the image of God. That offense is so egregious against a holy God that it's worse. Your sin and my sin against God is so much worse than any and all of the sin between us and others. That's, that's perspective because some of, that's, some of that sin that we have between each other is pretty bad. We've offended God that much by our sin. To confess our sin is to agree with God that defiling his image, defiling his name by being a sinner is that wicked. Once we gain that perspective, how then, how then can we hold the things that we have between each other against one another? How then can we withhold forgiveness when we realize how much we have been forgiven? And that's the key. We have to realize how much we've been forgiven. Because once we finally get our heads around that and our hearts around that, I'm not going to say it becomes easy because there are things that are never going to be easy to forgive, but it becomes at least possible. Because that person that sinned against you, whatever, those of you that have been through some trauma, you know, it's right in the front of your mind right now. Whatever that thing is, Boy, if you, think that, if you think you've got something against them, it is nothing compared to what God has against them. And their greatest need is actually not to make things right with you, it's to get right with God. Pray for their soul. They have an even greater need. They owe an even greater debt to the God of the universe than they do to you. That's a powerful lesson on forgiveness. And so a few observations here. Forgiveness freely received must also be freely given. And also it is a privilege to intercede for others before God's throne. That's something we ought to do regularly. Those of you who have had someone in your life who prayed for you regularly... That's significant. I, I, always, I always refer to this, but I, if you don't notice the difference when someone prays for you, maybe you notice when they're not doing it anymore. And, and I, that sounds weird, but let me, let me say it this way. I had, a, I had a, grand, a grandfather who I know prayed for me and my cousins. I mean, they were like 30-some of us, so he had some of us every day. And like over the course of a month, I don't know, I don't know if it was once a month or what, but like I know that he prayed for some of us every single day. Regularly, he approached the throne of God on my behalf. And when he passed away, I felt that. I felt the loss of that. It is a privilege to intercede for others on their behalf before the throne of God. We ought to do that regularly. 
not only in granting forgiveness to, you know, maintaining peace with others around us, but also, um, you know, doing our part. I mean, obviously, as parents, we ought to, we ought to pray for our children. As a, as a pastor, I ought to pray for some of you, well, all of you. It, it, is, it is right for us to do. You pray for your loved ones. You pray for those around you. You pray for those who have hurt you. Um, a, a great quote that, that, um, that I heard, this is, this is the, the guy that leads the preaching meetings that I often go to on Wednesdays, um, Pastor Tim Rice up at Trinity Presbyterian here. He, say, he says this a lot, that maturity is the ability to think outward in regards to time and people. In other words, I was explaining this a little bit earlier to, uh, to someone before the service, but, but the, as a baby, a baby um, is perfectly happy until the moment they realize they're hungry and the world is falling apart. They're also perfectly happy um, to sit in their own dirty diaper until it gets cold or starts burning, and then nothing else matters. As a young child, similarly, I care about and am aware of right now. I won't say which one, but you know, it's not Carly, but you know. Child, what do you want for lunch? I'm not hungry. Okay, are you, okay, but it's lunchtime now, so are you actually not hungry or do you just want to keep playing? I just want to keep playing. Okay, well, you need to eat lunch now because in an hour or two from now, you're going to be very hungry and it's not going to be lunchtime anymore. Maturity is the ability to think outwards in regards to time. If I do this, then later there will be consequences of that. If I plant now, then months later I will harvest. If I make this bad choice now, then later I will lose opportunities that will no longer be available to me. The the ability to think outwards in terms of time. If I invest now, I will be able to retire or I will be able to leave an inheritance. If I Anyway, you get it. The ability to think outwards in, in terms of time. It is also the ability to think outwards in terms of people. Again, to the baby and the small child. That's as far as they can see. Because here is where me stops and other people start. And so after here, I don't care. I'm hungry. Oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Cooper and Charlotte don't care how much you've slept, Jenny. Or Luke, for that matter. All they know is they're hungry. A a slightly older child might recognize this person is crying and needs a hug. I'm just going to tell you, that's Riley. First Sunday, Angela Angela visited. She's like, she's sitting by herself. I will go sit with her. (laughs) Growing up is the ability to think outwards from yourself. And then as you get, I don't want to say older, but as you mature, the ability to think further about your, your kids, your grandkids, to think about the people on the mission field, to think about the people back home, to think about those that will come after, those around us. Maturity is the ability to think outward in time and people. 
In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus invites us to be aware of those around us, but more than just aware. And so for this prayer prompt, um, again, as Kara comes, um, lots of stand up and sit down in this service. But um, Ask God for his love and strength to forgive those who have sinned against you. That alone might take all of, all of the time for some of you. Lift up the needs of others that God brings to your mind. You ever just randomly think about somebody? Somebody totally random pops in your mind. I, I've, I've tried to develop the discipline of whenever that happens, pray for them and then text them, hey, think about your day, pray for you. Anything, you know, is there anything I, specific that I can pray for you? Lift up the needs of others that are being brought to mind. Pray for God to help you see others as sinners in need of salvation rather than enemies. I love the illustration of, it's an illustration of sharing the gospel that we're just one beggar showing another beggar where the crumbs are. It's a powerful perspective. We, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that, that the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're not better than anyone else around us. Our standing before God only changes because of Jesus, not because some of us are better than others. No, we are all hopelessly lost and dead in our sins without Jesus Christ. This world is broken. It stands to reason that broken people are going to hurt one another. The only solution is Christ. And also God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's, that's in God's hands. And for those of us who have been greatly forgiven, not only by God but by others, aren't we thankful that that vengeance didn't come so swiftly but that we were given the opportunity to repent. Let's want that for others too, even those that have hurt us. So let's spend some time in prayer for others. God, thank you for the great, incredible love that you've shown us by sending your son to die in our place, to take our punishment. God, it is so overwhelmingly humbling that someone so perfectly good and righteous as Jesus Christ would stand and take my punishment. God, it's hard to even get our heads around and and it's right that we should spend the rest of our lives understanding that. And all of eternity as well. God, we, so we gain the perspective of how great we've been forgiven. God, I pray that you would help us to extend that forgiveness to others. God, again, give us soft hearts, particularly in these areas where it's so hard to forgive. 
God, thank you for showing us by your own example how that can be done. God, we lift up those around us, our loved ones, maybe our siblings, maybe our kids, our spouses. God, give them strength. Love them in ways that we fail to. Lead them in ways that we don't or can't. Heal them. That's far outside the scope of what we can do. But we can lift them before your throne. We can come to your feet and bring them before you and pray for them. So God, we, we do that this morning and we even pray for those who have hurt us. God, they're not the enemy, even though sometimes they feel like it. You see, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but there is an evil one in this world who seeks to destroy us, to pit us against one another, to draw us away from you. So God, we pray for the souls of those who don't know you and act accordingly. God, thank you for the privilege that it is to approach your throne and to lift others there as well. In Jesus' name, amen.